my wife works with an online coach for uh, physical fitness, and this coach at one point was an attorney, and now she's a fitness coach, and she shared about there was a question that got her through the process of leaving behind this this career as an attorney to step into a whole new career in the fitness world, which she didn't have training for. She shared as an attorney, she started to take up running and that became a passion and she eventually got into marathons and, and just continued a journey to, to just love fitness. She wanted to go into a, a full-time career as a fitness trainer and that question she asked herself, a great one for you and I, if we're looking for goals in our own life, is the question she said was, why not me? Why not me? And that pushed her through all the doubts and the critics, and now she has this very successful career that she's passionate about. And maybe that's uh, something for you and I to stop and think about, whatever it is that we're trying to expand in our life, to just stop and say, you know, why not me? You know, Paul gives an answer for all believers to that question about why not me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 21, he says, all things are yours. All things are yours. He's going to define some of what he means by all things are yours. But essentially what's taking place in the context here, people in Corinth, they were debating. Some knew Peter, some knew Paul himself, others knew Apollos, were disciples, were trained by them, and they were debating who was the best and who was second class. And Paul says there is no debate about Peter or Paul or Apollos. He says that's nothing. If you're in Christ, you have all things. So if you ever feel like you're second class or you feel insignificant, you need to understand because of who you are in Christ, what he's done on your behalf, all things are yours. And he defines all things here in just a moment. But essentially what he's saying that everything given by God is available to every single believer. So when you find a promise in scripture, that's yours. But he goes on to define specifically here in this context, Paul says, all things are yours, the world, life, death, the present, the future. And then he repeats, all are yours. Now, we're going to try to unpack a little bit more about what he means in each of those words in a moment. But essentially, again, if we can grasp, if you ever feel like, you know, your life doesn't matter or, or you know, somebody has criticized you and stopped that dream, or maybe it's the devil himself that's trying to talk you down, just come back to 1 Corinthians 3.21 and say, listen, all things are mine. All things are mine because of who I am in Christ. I'll give you something you can use starting today. A mentor of mine, Chloe Madonna's, shared this, and you can use this in any context here. The context she was counseling in was a, a person who had gotten a, a diagnosis for her two children, and they were diagnosed with a lifelong illness. And this person said she felt powerless and helpless. You know, what do you do when it's your child and they've got this diagnosis and it's, it's going to be a lifelong battle. And so she said, I, you know, I feel powerless. And Chloe Madonna said, you are powerful because you can ease their pain through your love. You are powerful because you can ease their pain through your love. No matter what you're facing, it may not be a medical issue. Maybe it's just a hurting friend. But know that any moment you are powerful because who you are in Christ, all things are yours. And when his love shines through you, it changes other people's lives. You know, Teresa of Avila in the 1500s, people came from all around to, to just listen to her teach, and her books are still read today. But 
she used a term for discipleship. She called it casting flowers. And she meant that term as a term if you think about a parade where somebody goes before the parade and they're casting flowers before the parade into the crowd. Oftentimes, you know, before a wedding, somebody does that as well. And so again, think about that picture there. Joy, love, beauty, casting flowers. That's you and I called to do that in our life. Well, let's look at one of Paul's words of caution here especially in light of so many things that we see in culture, in the media, you know, individuals, the way they behave. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul says this, Revilers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, what is a reviler? And this is just a word for us to stop and think, you know, the, the egos that we see, the people doing certain things that are so distasteful or treating each other so bad. And they look at that and they do that with a sense of glee and, and pride in how they behave. You know, Paul offers a real word of caution here. He says, revilers will not inherit the kingdom of God. What is a reviler? A reviler is a person with too much hate. You see, you see these people that they're hateful and mean and things like that. And again, some people do that with a sense of just inflating their ego, tearing other people down. And Paul says, you need to be real careful because there is a life and that path is filled with the, the promises of Christ and all things are yours in him. And there's another path and it's filled with self. And in that path, you'll find people, you know, gleefully just being cruel to others. And Paul says, a real wake-up call. Revilers will not enter that kingdom of heaven. You know, the aboriginal people have a a seven-generation rule when they make decisions. It's just a great example. And before they make a decision, they project the impact of that decision seven generations down the line. And then they decide accordingly. And, you know, maybe we don't think about seven generations from now, but to stop and think about a decision that I make, who's it going to impact in my life in the broader circle? Or maybe to my children, my grandchildren, and even expand that and say, listen, 40 years from now, if I continue living like I am now, what's the impact going to be? Is it going to be casting flowers? Or is it going to be something that is just a far, far less and just something so filled with self. A great study, Addison Bevere here about never too late. You know, you and I can make that change and start today, no matter where we are in life. And I love this. He's just making the example here. It's never too late, no matter what age you are. Think about this. Average age of a Harley Davidson owner is, is someone in their mid-50s. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame designed by I.M. Pei in 1995. He was 78. Gertrude Himmelfarb wrote best-selling novels in her 90s. The Beach Boys started recording in 1961. 50 years later, 2011, they put out a new album, had a number one hit. Seslaw Melos, a poet, wrote half his poems. He was in his 70s. Michelangelo painted the Sistine Chapel. He was 59. And Luther Burbank wrote a massive eight-volume study on plants when he was 72. You know, some people say that E. Stanley Jones, the most effective missionary since the Apostle Paul, 
Think about this example here and that you can have that same example. I can have that same example in our life. E. Stanley Jones in India, a missionary in the 1800s, 1900s. And again, people just loved him. And when he died, people asked his family and friends, did he say any last words or what did you see when you last saw him? And here's how they defined him. When last seen, Stanley was walking with God and then God took him. Same way scripture describes Enoch, but what a life when last seen, he was seen walking with God. Many people know Proverbs 24, verse 16 by heart, but it's Solomon's definition of a righteous person. And listen to what he says here. And in righteousness, there's definitions throughout scripture about obedience and holiness. All that is true. But listen how Solomon defines a righteous person He says, a righteous man falls seven times and rises again. You see, he doesn't say that the righteous never fall, but he says the righteous are those who get up when they fall. That's what it is to continue in this life in Christ and to say and know what Paul means by all things are yours. No matter how many times we fall, that we rise again. Love this here from R.P. Blackmer in the early 1900s. Some things to maybe consider again in the culture that we find ourselves in today. He wanted to define a critic. And I love this here. He says, a critic, the formal discourse of an amateur. It's easy to be a critic. It's easy to criticize. People do it for a living. Some people just seem to find so much joy in being that critic, but what a great way to look at people that continue to do that, to just say, that's just an amateur, and not get caught up in those things. That's what they were doing in Corinth again. Well, I know Paul. Well, I know Peter, and they were criticizing each other, and Paul says, Peter, Paul, Apollos doesn't mean anything. You already have all things because of one reason, because of Christ. We'll expand on what he meant here in just a moment. But as I've shared so many times, it is the reason the most repeated command in Scripture is do not fear. From Genesis through the Gospels, Jesus said it himself to the disciples, don't be afraid. And the reason is, again, because of what Paul says there in that statement, you already have all things. There's nothing to be afraid. As Kierkegaard said, God creates out of nothing, but he does what is still more wonderful He makes saints out of sinners. You know, in Romans chapter 1, Paul looks at sin and the sin that produces more sin, that produces more sin, and the cycle gets continual. In Romans 1, 22, Paul says that cycle of sin looks like this. They claimed to be wise, but they became fools. Another way to translate, translate that is, they became insane. The insanity of sin that Martin Luther would talk about. And the way to step out of that insanity of sin is to trust and believe this promise of Christ in our life. And to recognize you and I then are called to be casting flowers into this world to others trapped in that insanity so they can find their way to to freedom. As Hopkinson said, sin is rejecting love and life and truth. Sin is to reject the unconditional love of Christ, is to reject the life that Jesus offers, and is to reject the truth he calls us to know and live. 
C.S. Lewis said, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself. There is no such thing. Though people may look in all sorts of temporary places, happiness and lasting joy, it's found truly in knowing the promise of who Jesus is. And again, to, to live and to know because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. And now during this time, as we're rapidly moving towards Easter, we take the same stance that, that Paul does in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says, it is resurrection, resurrection, always resurrection that undergirds what I do and say in the way I live. Think straight, awaken to the holiness of life. It's because Jesus walked out of that tomb and conquered death, hell, and the grave that you and I can say, why not me? Whatever dream is before your life, to move forward on it because all things are yours, because of who he is, and to know that he has paid that price so we don't carry the burden of sin and no longer have a fear of death. There's a beautiful parable about a just man in this certain village. And when he dies, he goes to hell. And so the people in the village say there must be some mistake. And so they go down to the gates of hell and they, they are pleading with Satan let him out. Let him out. Let him out. And suddenly there's silence in the crowd. And the crowd parts. And Jesus walks forward, grabs hold of the gates of hell, and swings them wide open and says, let me in. And that's your life and my life, that he looked and saw the sin in our life, the brokenness in our life, the lostness in our life. And he says, let me in. And when we just trust and believe all the promises that all things are yours become ours. So what does Paul mean, uh, again, on a deeper level, when he says that, you know, all things are yours? What it means, again, that every promise of God is available to every believer. Whatever you find in Scripture is that promise. Begin to claim that, believe that, pray that. But let's look at what he says here. Specifically, when he says, all things are yours, the world, life, death, the present, the future. I'm going to read here the words of John Piper. Just a, a beautiful statement here as, as we look here at 1 Corinthians 3, verse 21. All things are yours, the world, John Piper, this world, this whole God-created God-owned, God-ruled, natural, sinful, broken, painful, beautiful, horrible, hopeful world is yours. Not just a part of it, all things. You're not the victims of this world. You own it. It is not your master. It is your servant. Everything in it and everything that happens on it is working together for your greatest and longest good. You know, as I often share, you know, Tony Robbins, that quote, it's knowing and believing that life is happening for you and not to you. When Paul says, all things are yours, life. Again, John Piper, life. Every breath, every beat of your heart, every chemical transaction in your body, every day you face, every night you sleep, 
every movement you make, every word, every deed, every relationship, every accomplishment, every plan, failed or successful, all of it, all your life is yours. You don't belong to it. It belongs to you. You are not attached to life. Life is attached to you. Life follows you. Life, all of it, serves you forever. Again, as Paul said, there's no need to argue or feel insignificant or boast in temporary things or fame or crowds or whatever it is. In a world of critics that are amateur, you just step back and say, listen, I don't need to be involved in that. I have all things. The world, life. And he goes on to share death. Again, John Piper. Death is yours. Oh, death, where is your sting? It's on Golgotha's empty cross. Death, where is your victory? It is in the empty grave outside Jerusalem. Again, as Paul said, resurrection, resurrection. It is always the resurrection that undergirds everything we say, we do, believe, and how we live each day with that victory in Jesus. Next, Paul says the present. Again, Piper, every moment, the sad moments, the happy moments, the fearful moments, the bold moments, the lonely moments, the grieving moments, ecstatic moments, sleeping moments, all the moments, the the present is yours. You're not the slave of time or chance or any sequence of events. You own them. They are yours. They serve you. They are God's emissaries to bring you to glory and make you glorious. Pretty amazing. Again, we live in a world where people believe that life is chance. That eons ago, out of nothing came the world. We don't believe that. We believe in faith and say, listen, my life is not about chance. I live and know and have my being in the one who created all things out of nothing. And beyond that, he transforms sinners into saints. And now as a saint in that kingdom by his grace... All things are mine. And life is happening for me and not to me. Paul concludes that verse by saying, or things to come, the future. Again, John Piper, nothing will come to you in the future. The future of 10 seconds from now, 10 days from now, 10 months, 10 years, 10 decades, 10 centuries, 10 millennia, or 10 ages of millennia. Nothing will come to you that is not your servant. You do not belong to the future. The future belongs to you. Everything that will come to pass from this moment on works for your advantage. You will shine like the sun in the kingdom of your father. You'll be kings and priests. You will judge angels. You will have bodies like Jesus' glorious body. You'll be a pillar in the temple of God. God will be your God and walk with you, his friend, his child. You'll sit with Jesus on his throne. The future is yours. You see, again, as we began, if you ever feel second class or criticized or down on yourself, maybe Satan is trying to bring about a sense of defeat. You come back and you study what Paul says and you just say, you know what? All things are mine. Why? Because the tomb is empty. All things are mine. Why? Because he is risen. He is risen indeed. All things are mine. Why? Because the greater mystery is now Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
So why not you? Why not me? And a world of amateur critics to step forward and say, I'm going to live my life aligned with the promise of who I am in Christ. Because when he walked out of that tomb and conquered death, hell, and the grave, he also extended you and I life in this moment. Where he said there's a joy the world cannot take away. There's a peace that is everlasting no matter what circumstances we may find ourselves in. And we are never powerless because at any moment the love of Christ can flow through you and I like a living water to impact the world around us for generations to come. And when we get into alignment with our identity of who we are in Christ because of what he has done for you and I, the burden of sin removed, the fear of death gone, the fear of man, a thing of the past. It's from there we can say truly in Jesus, I have all things. Let me read the closing words here of John Piper because he says it uh, so well. As we know, everything is by God's grace. It's not something you and I earned. It's not something we worked for. It's not something because we were, you know, religious or good by any means because there is none who's truly good but Christ. It's by his grace alone. But now that we know that that's true, may we walk in that victory. As Piper said, all things are yours because you are Christ. Christ's body, Christ's bride, Christ's subject. Christ sibling, Christ fellow heir. And because you are Christ's, all the Father is or can be or can do for a creature he is and does for you because you are Christ's. So do your work in the deep, solid, unshakable confidence and peace that no matter what comes to you in this world, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, all things are yours. All things serve your glory, life or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours because you belong to Christ. And that is why the most repeated command in Scripture is do not fear.